Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm chatting with Helena Merck, co-founder and CEO of Glimpse, a video chat platform to help remote teams connect. Since the acquisition of Glimpse by Twine, Helena is now starting a new company in climate crypto. Helena is a Y Combinator graduate, and she has worked as a software engineer at a startup and studied global health and CS at Duke for one year before dropping out. In this episode, we discuss her founder's journey, how individuals can better network to build meaningful relationships by asking the right questions, and finally, we discuss her process for starting a new company in climate crypto. Enjoy! Hi, Helena. Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Hi, so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you because Women in Data has been using Glimpse, the software you created and founded a company for, for the last two years and was a big lifesaver for us during the pandemic and allowed our community to be able to still connect and connect in new ways we never even had available with connecting with members and the community from around the world. So it's really an honor to have the founder and CEO of um, something that we love and use so much at Women in Data here chatting with us today. Well, it's it's stories like y'all's that like I think got us so excited to build the product. It was to be able to like connect remote teams and, and communities that really mattered. Awesome. So I'd love to just dive in and understand a little bit more about your journey to creating Glimpse. What's your founder story? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've been building since I was really young, uh, kind of got into app development by accident. Uh, and since I was in middle school, just been building stuff. And in high school, the first product I was working on had nothing to do with anything video chat related. We're working with animal shelters. And then in college, started dabbling um, in other things, but decided to drop out after my first year. Um, and the the story of Glimpse really started after about a year of being out of college, having worked as a software engineer. Um, and I went and visited Duke for a weekend and um, sat down with, with my then friend and future co-founder. Um, and I kind of like sat him down for breakfast and kind of bluntly asked him what he was still doing as a student. Um, and in hindsight, that was extremely bold. Uh, but at the time, it felt super normal. Uh, and, and he totally threw the question back at me. And he just asked why I was still working for a car company. My day-to-day was reverse engineering cars and trying to you know, build a universal API for them, which you know, from a technical perspective was exhilarating, um, but definitely wasn't something I necessarily cared about. He knew that I was very interested in global health and in environmental science and uh, very mission-driven kind of projects. Uh, and he recognized that I was very deep in, in the technical aspects of the job, but very much not like checking that box for me. So we started thinking uh, and we kind of made a pact that if we got into Y Combinator, I would quit my job and he would drop out of school. And like a month later, that actually happened, which was kind of wild at the time. And a problem that we both cared a lot about um, was like building authentic relationships between people. How do we bring people together in more meaningful ways and facilitate conversations. And um, a lot of this was grounded in the, the environment we were in, which was, you know, growing up around like Snapchat and Instagram and all these different social medias that were making people more isolated than ever. Uh, and, and we wanted to reverse that. Um, so the original product was in person. We were helping people meet 
um, one-on-one and have deep conversations. And it was fully structured. You know, we would tell people where to meet, what to talk about, exactly what to do. Um, and that was working. You know, we were growing on college campuses. We just launched in San Francisco and then March, 2020 hits and everything kind of goes out the door because building an in-person platform during the pandemic was not the best business to be in. Uh, so, uh, we quickly shifted kind of everything we're working on, built a video chat platform. And that ended up actually solving a lot of the core UX problems we had with the original offline platform, including, you know, a really high barrier to entry. Like nobody wants to commit an hour to a stranger. Um, and if they do, they're not going to do that every day. They're not going to even do that every week. Um, so we went from a kind of niche product to something that was actually mass consumer, um, which was exciting. And we had some <laughs> really fun hacky launch strategies that uh, ended up, you know, working a bit too well and crashed all of our servers. But uh, that gave us enough kind of confidence to to keep building what is now Glimpse. It's amazing. It, I love hearing your story because there's so many parallels, I feel, with starting women in data. You know, I'm so grateful that I also had friends in my life who were like, challenged me because I was complaining of like, you know, there's no women in the industry I'm in and there's no way for me to connect with people and people to challenge like, we'll do something about it. Right. And so I love that we have people in our life, like challenge us to do something about it. And I think it's so exciting that you started with in person and with really a vision to create meaningful conversations, but then we're able to pivot so quickly. I mean, it sounds like in a matter of months to go from in person to online that had to be scary because i mean there wasn't any guarantee that it was going to work out but it did so like what was that transition point was it a hard decision was it easy were there a lot of challenges with that i think with startups nothing's ever certain so i don't i think at this point we'd been pretty much immune to maybe it'll work maybe it won't we're just out here having fun running experiments and we actually built it in a weekend um which was a crazy weekend uh we hackathoned it didn't sleep and just like cranked out basically chat roulette for private communities. So you would match with someone who was invited with a link and every two minutes you get rotated to the next person. And that was fun. Uh, like we launched it just to a bunch of friend groups and then uh, we launched it in a Facebook group that was built by all these students who had been sent home from college. So, I mean, if you think back on like, I don't know, two and a half years ago when the world went online, all the students from all the U.S. colleges had to go home. And all of the freedom that came with college was like ripped away from them. And everyone was just sitting at home, very sad to be controlled by their parents again. And um, so they formed this Facebook group called Zoom Memes for Self-Quarantines. And it had like, I don't know, several tens, like tens of thousands of people in it. Um, and we launched an event called OK Zoomer Speed Dating. And that was riffing off the okay boomer meme and people loved it. So next thing you know, we have like 10,000 people hopping onto our app we built in a weekend and <laughs> it was not pretty, but uh, the second and third time got a lot better and, and ran a lot smoother. Um, but it was great to be able to, you know, get some laughter and joy in such like stressing times. Um, so I think it was stressful, but I think we got to a point of like, validating the idea really quickly and didn't spend too much time on on building the product and that's how we've kind of always gone about like product development it's like if you can build like a really scrappy and crappy mvp and that solves a problem 
that's how you know you're kind of onto something. But if it has to be fully polished before anyone use it, uses it, then it's not really solving something that's uh, like an acute pain. Yeah, so talking about scrappy MVP and pivoting and moving quickly, you had shared with me that originally you test out matching people based on personality tests, which I think is a fantastic hypothesis and idea. But you shared, you found that you really didn't need to have a certain personality match to have a great conversation. Um, can you share a little bit more about some of the insights you found in terms of how to create really meaningful conversations? Yeah. And I guess like a lot of these insights are also just from life and not really product. Um, just something I've always been really interested in is how do you kind of unlock the other person? Uh, what are questions that you can ask that make them feel comfortable that, um, like lay the floor for them to just like divulge who they really are. Uh, and I think the first piece of it is really just recognizing that like that should be your goal or maybe making that your goal. Uh, and then having some questions just like in your, in your little Rolodex of questions um, that, that help guide that conversation. And my favorite question right now is what's your world like? And the reason I love that question is because it does a few things. Well, one, it, gets people to stop and think because they're expecting you to say, how are you? And then the response to how are you is good. That's just society in the US. Um, in order to make how are you meaningful, you ask it twice. You say, how are you? And then you say, okay, how are you really? And that leads the same groundwork. Um, but that is always gonna lead you down like a more like emotional state kind of path versus what's your world like, especially if it's a stranger, uh, allows them to pick pieces of their life that they find meaningful. Um, and it allows them to curate their narrative versus you asking questions around like, oh, what are your hobbies? What's your work? Which may not be a relevant question for the person you're meeting. Um, so yeah, I think the two interesting things is like, one, it like gives them the floor to like have a longer answer. And the second is they're choosing kind of what they might want to dive deeper into. Uh, and then you can usually just go pretty naturally from there. So it sounds like connecting with people is really all about asking the right questions to find those common interests and barriers and to, well, to remove those barriers, mm -hmm. right? And why, and you shared there's a lot of power in asking great questions. Why so often do you think that we don't ask good questions? Like there's so much to gain from asking open-ended questions to allow your curiosity be explored and that person to open up. What do you think is holding us back from taking that dive? I think the same thing that like holds us back from like asking a stranger out um, or like going up to someone and having a conversation. It's like the kind of irrational anxiety that something bad is going to happen, um, which I don't know if you've ever like walked up to a stranger or like started a conversation with someone in line for coffee, like nothing bad happened. Like maybe it was a boring conversation but like, like, like the risk is so low and people get these like butterflies in their stomach and their heart starts to raise. And um, if you do it enough, like that kind of stops happening and, um, and you're able to just like have conversations with everybody. And it's not necessarily like a super extroverted thing. Like anybody can like gain these skills and like learn to like have a really deep and in-depth conversation with another introvert. Um, and it, it's more about going through that exercise and practice and willing to put yourself out there and 
if you do that enough, then it just becomes second nature. Such a great tip. I think we forget that we can practice it. <laughs> I know a lot of people have anxiety about like attending networking events and especially like even like virtual networking events. But just as you mentioned, like you can practice this in your daily life. Like when you're in line for coffee, like start trying chatting to the person next to you and start with just some really open-ended questions because it is something that takes a lot of practice. So I think that's a fantastic tip. To wrap this up, I'd love to know, just in terms of virtual networking, besides asking questions and finding one thing you have in common with another individual, do you have any tips for people on like how to make the most of it, whether virtual or in person? I mean, I think networking gets a really bad rap. Um, and I think it's like often associated with this idea of like either like social climbing or like building the biggest network so that you can have reach or something like that. And I don't have a better word for it, but I don't think meeting people has to be framed in a bad way. Um, I think you shouldn't go into a conversation expecting that they can help you in some other way or that they can connect you with somebody else. Like don't go into a conversation with ulterior motives is like the number one thing. And people say that like, you can't like, don't go networking when you need a network. Um, networking is like a lifelong process of meeting interesting people and building relationships. So if there's a way of reframing networking into like relationship building and friend making and conversations, I think that makes it way more healthy because it's not transactional. Um, nothing about networking should be transactional. It should just be meeting people and understanding their world and seeing maybe this is someone that, you know, you want to have more conversations with because they're interesting and maybe less because there's not a current need, but maybe in the future, there might be really interesting synergy. I love it. I love the reframing of it to like building relationships because one, who doesn't want to build relationships? Mm -hmm. Two, who doesn't need practice building <laughs> relationships? And then three, coming in with no expectations. I mean, we've all been to different networking events where we've interacted with that one person who's like trying to collect as many business cards as possible or hand out their mm -hmm. resume to as many people as possible. And like, we see that doesn't work. So like come in with the idea of no expectation, build those relationships and you're going to get far, really far. So you have now, or I should say Glimpse has now been acquired by Twine, which is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. That has to be like such a sense of accomplishment. And I'm sure you're excited about where it's going to go and how it can live on. But this has changed what you do on day to day. So when are you still involved with Glimpse now Twine? And what's next for you? It's been an exciting transition. Um, like literally night and day. I like woke up the day everything closed and I could feel like the lack of stress. <laughs> um, so that I think has improved my like physical health, my mental health, everything. Um, that said, I, I loved running Glimpse and uh, I'm very excited that everything we were working on is now, you know, gonna continue to exist um, and exist better and faster uh, by having a larger team. Uh, and most of our team went and joined Twine, which is exciting. So there's all the context that also was able to join and I'm able to support them, you know, a few hours a week with whatever might be necessary. Um, but most of my day-to-day -day right now is full in like ideation mode, which I think two years ago before starting Glimpse would have been terrifying. 
you know, it's, it's an entirely like structureless day, you know, maybe I'll go to the gym in the morning and then read all day and then meet up with some people, meet Twitter, people on Twitter, get into a Twitter war, um, and then repeat the next day. And, um, I'm having so much fun just exploring ideas and brainstorming with people. Uh, and I know this is like a temporary phase. I, I know that I love to jump in and build and it's been hard to hold myself back. Um, but I'm jumping into a space I haven't worked in yet, which is climate. Uh, and there's so much I want to learn before I potentially like go down the wrong rabbit hole and like build something that doesn't make the impact I'm hoping to make. So lots of learning, lots of fun, uh, and diving into both climate and crypto and some of my ideas involve combining the two and, and we'll see how that all turns out. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you're almost taking like a design thinking approach to your life of like having these ideation phase. Mm -hmm. Do you have any structure to the ideation process? Do you, are you thinking of like time boxing this phase of like, cool, I want to be in this phase for six months, like, or is it just all free form? Let's see what happens. I love running experiments and tests. Um, I think it's, it helps create structure, um, when, when structure is needed, but then also keeping it super kind of loose and open-ended. So the entire duration of exploration, I don't have that time for. Um, but once I like land on like, oh, this is an interesting idea. How do I like either dive deeper into that or, or kill it essentially. The sooner you can invalidate an idea, the sooner you can move on to your next one. Um, so there's like, two ideas I'm like concurrently testing right now um, and trying to figure out the easiest way of testing it. Like super easy, no tech involved, not having to raise money, not having to do anything, run it like a set of hypotheses and like figure out whether or not it's worth pursuing. Uh, and then if it is, then doubling down on it. Um, but most of it is just truly unstructured. I have like a notion doc that links to like a thousand notion docs and it's this web. And I recently made like a fig jam board with a bunch of bubbles and arrows. And I think that that visual representation helps, but you can't put as much text there. So now I'm kind of bopping between different tools. I feel you. I'm trying to find the perfect tool. I love diagrams and I love notion for all like the links of like things mm -hmm. I've read and saved. I don't know, maybe there's another idea for any soon-to-be entrepreneur yes. <laughs> out there. Find some way to connect these two things for us. <laughs> that would be great. So since you are in this ideation phase, I know you haven't formulated all of your, or ran all the results of your tests and hypotheses, but I'd love to know like what you see as the connection between like climate and crypto and maybe like two tidbits of information of like all this research you're doing, like where do you see it heading or what's information we should all be aware of and start thinking about in this space? I think like one common misconception is that crypto is inherently bad for the planet needs to be just debunked, like tell the whole world, tell all your friends. Um, and that doesn't mean that everything has to exist on blockchain. Like the argument of like, why would you do this on chain? I think should be asked all the time. Um, but I wouldn't just dismiss every crypto idea because it's bad for the planet. Um, there's newer chains that are way more effective. Um, and a lot of this has just come from innovation around how do you do consensus across different nodes? Um, a lot of people who think climate is like crypto is bad is they don't actually understand like the tech behind it. Um, and turns out we are so far past like what the original consensus was around proof of work. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and then the second is that I think the, the 
what I'm really excited by in, in the intersection is everything around regenerative finance um, and the idea of like aligning financial incentives with, you know, positive climate outcomes or positive other, you know, externalities being built into the system. Um, through this, learned so much about just like economics and different economic theories, like donut economics, fantastic book. Um, and, and the author is building basically blueprints for a bunch of cities um, to implement her theories around a circular economy. And they just launched one of her like plans in Amsterdam. And it's really exciting to kind of see that like manifest. And they pretty much brought together all these city planners and everybody else in the community and trying to figure out ways of making the entire city um, entirely regenerative. So everything you consume is somehow being recycled and reused somewhere else in the system. So that's cool. And I think blockchain ends up being a really good way of doing that for financial systems. I love it. There is so much opportunity in this space. And I appreciate you debunking some of these mythologies that like, you know, crypto and blockchain or more importantly, just distributed ledgers are bad for the environment. I think we all have to be cautious reading some headlines mm -hmm. because they're definitely <laughs> some clickbait. Again, important for us to run our own experiments and dive into the data a little bit more there. I'm so excited for what you're doing in this space. I cannot wait to see what comes out of this ideation phase. I know it will have a really big and meaningful impact. Um, but as we wrap up, do you have any advice for people looking to start their own business, maybe have an idea or nervous about being a founder and taking that leap? What do you tell people? I think the most important thing is surrounding yourself with people who share that passion. Like, and the easiest way of doing that is finding an accelerator um, and just kind of going through that. And there's accelerators that accept people without an idea, uh, like projects like OnDeck um, and like South Park Commons and stuff. So there's fellowships and a bunch of options there, um, especially right now. Like this is probably the best time ever to be a founder. Um, there's money flying around and support networks and everything else. So surround yourself with those people um, who are taking different paths. Like that's extremely important because otherwise... You're constantly getting either intentional or unintentional pushback about taking your alternative pathway. Uh, and I think the second one is that knowing what type of founder you are. There's people who start companies because they want to build a massive business that makes a lot of money. And then there's missionary founders who want to, like, they're on a mission to change the world in whatever capacity that might mean. Maybe they had, like, some health issues and, and they want to build a solution for everyone, or they want to build better communities, or they want to solve the climate. And figuring out what drives you deep down and accepting that, you know, maybe you just want to make money. Like, okay, cool. Go do that. Maybe you want to solve like one of the biggest problems in the world. Go do that. Um, but knowing which you are is extremely important um, to both finding a co-founder, building out your team um, and figuring out what business models make sense because otherwise you might go down the wrong rabbit hole and then not love your day to day. Uh, and uh, yeah. So I guess those are the two things surround yourself with the right people and like, know why you're starting a company. This is great. And it's, I love what you said there because 
you already provided advice on how to find the right people at the beginning <laughs> of this conversation, right? Like, hey, if you're trying to find the right people to surround yourself with, it's time to get out there, start networking, start mm -hmm. asking the right questions, start just building relationships. So use the advice that Helena shared at the beginning to start to build those meaningful relationships and get those right people in your life so you can move forward and create something of impact. Well, if you're ready, um, we can move into the rapid fire questions and wrap this episode up. Let's do it. All right. Favorite song you currently have on repeat? Somewhere Again by Free Arlo. Add it to your list. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled? Uh, Berlin. Happiness is? Waking up excited to build. I love that one. In the next five years, I hope to still be an optimist. And last but not least, to me, curiosity is. This one's hard. I know you sent me the questions ahead of time and I couldn't come up with a good answer because I am like <laughs> insanely curious about literally how everything works. Uh, I think that is what drove me to be a founder, just learning um, unlocking things, um, figuring out how stuff works, everything. I'm just like one of the most curious people. Maybe that's why I'm so drawn to questions. I just want to know everything about people, how they work, how things work. It's definitely the kid that like took apart all of their toys growing up. Um, <laughs> I love it. So maybe curiosity is asking the right yes, questions. Yes, asking the right questions. <laughs> I like that. Okay, curiosity is asking the right questions. Full circle. <laughs> yes, wrapping it up. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. This was amazing and inspiring. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you, learn more about your work and your next ventures? Follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name, Helena Merck. Um, I tweet a lot about climate and crypto and crazy ideas I'm having. <laughs> awesome. I am going to make sure I do that right now. I hope the rest of you do. We will put Helena's um, handle in the bio so you can make sure you can follow her. Thanks again for coming on. This was such a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Remember to stay curious and keep learning, and we will talk again next time. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.